cry every time I watch the stars. And it's just the Star Spangled Banner, but it's amazingly beautifully done. You're looking at poetry, and it's, it's amazingly expressive. That's Debbie Chen Pickler describing what it's like not to hear the Star Spangled Banner, but to see it. Yes, and I would like to consider it possibly more beautiful than anything that I've ever heard or read in English. There's so much movement and body language and expression there. And that's Sierra Wiener describing what it's like to see poetry. Both these women are talking about American Sign Language, ASL. Sierra is a student at the University of North Florida, majoring in ASL. Debbie is a professor of linguistics at Gallaudet University who teaches deaf students using ASL. They both have a passion for ASL. Sierra's grew into something even more than she expected. She decided to study not only interpreting, but also deaf education. But here's a question. Will Sierra be able to teach the students who need to learn ASL? We don't have a system in place, really, where deaf children are automatically given sign language. They've had to demonstrate that they uh, can't succeed in the educational system before they're allowed to sign. Bilingual deaf education is still a dream that we are trying to make happen. I'm Steve Levine, the host of America the Bilingual. With me is Mim Harrison, our editorial and brand director. Mim, in our earlier podcast on ASL, episode 29, we explored how hearing parents are using sign language to communicate with their hearing babies before they can speak. Yes, and that was an amazing and little-known gift that the deaf have given the hearing. But what about deaf children? Who's teaching them? And Sierra wants to be one of those teachers. Last summer, I went to Haiti, and I worked with the Deaf Education Program, and it was a magnificent experience. I had never been exposed to teaching deaf kids, only really signing and interpreting. So this whole experience opened my eyes to the world of deaf education. She remembers in particular one young boy in Haiti who was deaf, teaching her a version of tic-tac-toe have him explain it in ASL. It got him to convey ideas and to correct me when I made mistakes and just continue to develop his skills, which is really what we were there for, to not only teach them, you know, math, science, reading, writing, but also just to work on their language. And then there was the hard reality of why this young boy needed Sierra's help. He was, I believe, 13 He was quite a few grades lower than what he should have been, which is very common for the deaf in Haiti as well as America and pretty much universal. There are deaf schools where you can have your education bilingually in American Sign Language and English, but it's quite difficult to find them. A member of the Education Policy Council at the National Association of the Deaf, Tawny Holmes Leibach, wrote to us about this. What the NAD sees is that enrollment in schools that could offer ASL in English has declined. 
And why is that? Well, Tani explained that it happens when school districts place deaf children in so-called regular schools rather than in what's called special school settings, which would include bilingual ASL English schools. The thinking being that deaf children should be mainstreamed? Yes, that's certainly what it sounds like. And as Tawny wrote in her email to us... Email because Tawny is deaf. Yes. She wrote, The idea of inclusion is wonderful, but it should not come at the cost of depriving deaf and hard-of-hearing children of language acquisition and education access. Ivy Wallace, past director of Gallaudet University Press, says that parents of deaf children face hard choices even if they do have access to a bilingual school teaching ASL in English. The residential schools where the children are in a deaf bilingual environment all day, every day, are far away from home for most parents. And so the choice is either send their child away from home so they don't see them Sunday through Friday, or put them in a public school where they may be the only deaf child in the entire school. And the choice that parents make has consequences for the kids when they get to college, even if it's Gallaudet, which is a university specifically for the deaf. Generally, the students who are coming from public school don't have the same level of signing skill Mm -hmm. that the students from the residential schools have. And so there, there are classes for them to help improve their signing skills, but I think in some ways they have a difficult adjustment to make being on this campus where they need to sign all the time. That's something that Debbie notices in her classes. When I teach undergraduates here at Gallaudet, you can see the effects of not having early sign language exposure in your students. It's something that we could avoid, but we don't avoid because we have this fundamental misunderstanding. Misunderstandings and misconceptions about the deaf are something that probably a lot of us who are not deaf may not even be aware of. And that can start from when a child is born deaf, as Ivy points out. As soon as they're identified as having some kind of a hearing loss, the doctor comes in and says, well, you know, the child could have a cochlear implant, and if they have a cochlear implant, then there's a good chance that they're going to hear and they'll be able to develop speech and they'll be able to understand speech, and so they'll get along in the world just fine. It's what the doctors usually don't say that's an issue. They don't necessarily inform parents that they do have an option to start getting a language into their infant right away if they use sign language. Ivy told us that the majority of deaf children, between 90 and 95 percent, are born to hearing parents. And as Debbie says, those parents are not likely to know ASL. A relatively small number of deaf children from hearing families have early access to sign language. And of course, that's the best time for them to learn it. So how well do they learn literacy in English reading and writing? There are many, many repercussions and many disadvantages that you suffer when you are exposed to your first language late and that's still the majority. But if young children are exposed early in the game to ASL, it can be a game changer for them. There's been a lot of research that's been done um, that shows um, serious benefits for the child in terms of later literacy and linguistic and cognitive development if they have early exposure
people like Debbie, Ivy, and Sierra have figured this out and are passionate about doing something about it. There is 100% no excuse for a deaf child to lag behind their hearing peers. It was Sierra's ASL language teacher in high school, who was deaf, who helped her understand that. Most hearing people don't understand that there is a deaf community and there is a deaf culture that surrounds these people, and it's not something that needs to be fixed. Just as there are deaf children born to hearing parents, there are hearing children born to deaf parents. So those are called CODAs, children of deaf adults. They grow up with ASL as their first language, but they're hearing, so they learn English also. They're a nice example of this, what we call bimodal bilinguals, so bilingual in two different modalities. And they will often talk and sign at the same time. Mim, talking with Debbie and Ivy about CODAs opened my eyes to something I hadn't considered before. And what was that? That ASL is a heritage language, just like indigenous language are to some cultures like Cherokee and global languages like Spanish are to other cultures. It goes to Sierra's point about there being a deaf culture, not a condition, but a culture. Most people think that because you can't hear and you use your hands to communicate that it's not equal to anything that's spoken. Many people in America, if you can't speak English... They associate that with not being equal to them, which is totally not the case. Sadly, but not surprisingly, ASL often follows the same trajectory of other heritage languages, especially for CODAs, who have ASL as their native language. They use that language as a child, and then they get to school, and the percentage of the English in their life just shoots through the roof, and all of a sudden they become English dominant, and they have a hard time developing or even just maintaining their home language. I asked Debbie what her feelings were about Children of a Lesser God, a movie and a play about a deaf woman and her hearing teacher. Probably starting with Children of a Lesser God, you now have lots of TV shows where there are deaf characters. It's more and more of a theme that you see in popular media. I think that more visibility will be good in the long run. But Debbie also cautions that ASL's recent popularity can be a double-edged sword. It, it has already engendered some misunderstandings about what sign language is and whether or not we should really invest in being long-term bilinguals in a sign language. You know, Mim, this reporting we've done on ASL has gotten me to expand my idea of what being bilingual can mean. Because not every language is spoken. Language can also be physical. So often we hear about meaning being conveyed mostly through body language. Well, ASL is taking that mostly to 100%. Yes, and that changes the way we define literacy. Debbie told me there's not yet a written form of ASL. So literacy is, the concept of literacy has to be stretched. You have to think of it a little bit differently than I think we're used to thinking of it. Um, literacy would have a lot to do with signing. You know, thinking of children in third grade writing essays in ASL. For them, that involves filming themselves on an iPad and then going through the revision process by reviewing that film and thinking about, okay, how could I sign this differently? And to borrow Debbie's word, I think that for those of us who hear, ASL stretches our thinking. 
It makes us see things differently. The Modern Language Association says that it's now the third most commonly taught language in our colleges and universities. And the NAD says that 47 states now recognize ASL as a world language. So there are a lot more students like Sierra who are learning ASL. There is so much more than just this hearing world that we live in. I have actually thought about whether I would want to have or even adopt deaf children or foster deaf children because many deaf kids do get put up for adoption just because they are deaf. I think it would be useful for everyone to learn American Sign Language. If everyone could sign, it would just be such a more supportive world. The America the Bilingual podcast is part of the Lead with Languages campaign of ACTFL, the American Council on the Teaching of Foreign Languages. This episode was written by Mim Harrison. Our podcast editor is Fernando Hernandez, who also does our sound design and mixing. Graphic arts are created by Carlos Plaza Design Studio. Our associate producer is Becky Rankin. Be sure to check out our write-up of this episode on americathebilingual.com, where we cover even more topics about ASL and the deaf culture, including what Debbie described as the deaf dinner party paradox. Debbie also shares a webcast on what happens when deaf babies are exposed to ASL. Special thanks to Howard Rosenblum, CEO of the National Association of the Deaf. Support for the America the Bilingual Project comes from the Levenger Foundation. Music in this episode, Quasi-Motion, by Kevin McLeod, was used with a Creative Commons attribution license. Our thanks to Epidemic Sound for helping us make beautiful music together. Keep connected on Facebook and Twitter. If you like our episodes, we hope you'll share them with friends and colleagues. Thanks for listening. For America the Bilingual, this is Steve Levine.